The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com So, with that, let's go to Psalm 119. Uh, Psalm 119, we're back to the golden alphabet. Um, Psalm 119, today's letter is Tet. Um, Psalm 119, verses 65 to 68. Uh, this is part one of this very, very important uh, uh, letter here when it comes to Psalm 119. Now, while you're turning there, um, it, it said that more people will point to the problem of evil and suffering as their reason for not believing in God than any other. It's not merely a problem. People say it's not a problem. For many people, it's the problem. The existence of suffering and evil in this world is the reason why we will not believe that there is a God. Uh, Barna Pohl asked the question, if you could ask God only one question and you knew he would give you an answer, what would you ask? The most common response was, why is there pain and suffering in this world? John Stott said, the fact of suffering undoubtedly constitutes the single greatest challenge to the Christian faith and has been in every generation. Its distribution and degree appear to be entirely random and therefore unfair. Sensitive spirits ask if it can possibly be reconciled with a God of justice and a God of love. Richard Swineberg, writing in the Oxford Companion to Philosophy, says the problem of evil is the most powerful objection to traditional theism. And Ronald Nash writes, objections to theism come and go. But every philosopher I know believes that the most serious challenge to theism was, is, and will continue to be the problem of evil. You will not get far in a conversation with someone who rejects the Christian faith before the problem of evil is raised. Pull out, it's pulled out like the ultimate trump card. It's supposed to silence believers and prove that the all-good and all-powerful God of the Bible does not exist. This continues to be the problem today. But, and I know it's gonna sound really bold, <laughs> but if we completely and truly understand the truth and the reality of this passage of scripture that we're gonna go through today, it's gonna to easily solve this problem for us, okay? Um, it's amazing how much society continues to affect the church. But for many of us today, we see on TV, our phones, social media, blogs, podcasts, the goodness of God is doubted, both directly and indirectly. Many times when I engage with atheistic and agnostics, so you know that in our outreach, I engage with the culture. I engage with our, our, our other countries and people from other countries and stuff. And we engage, we talk about this. The problem of evil, this argument comes up all the time. Essentially, what is the problem? Pain, suffering, evil in this world? This is what the response is. If evil exists in this world, then either if God exists, he is not able to do anything about it. Or number two, he's just not a good God. 
That's the problem. If evil and suffering is in this world and God exists, then there only is two possibilities. Number one, God's not able. Number two, God's not good. Wow. So as you know, when I have conversations, when this question comes up, it's not over in five minutes. I understand, family, that this is a very, very difficult thing, but it's not a question that we should be running from, and we're commanded not to run from it. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you with gentleness and with respect. We're supposed to give answers to this, and God makes sure that we're not ignorant of this as long as we're doing what we need to do to find out what it is that we need to know. Okay, so let's dust, you know, get, wipe the dust off our Bibles, okay? And let's take a look at what the Bible will actually teach us about this stuff. So for the most part, in the end of the conversations that we have, the conclusion is that they don't believe in God. But if I'm able to actually convince them that God actually does exist, then their conclusion is then he's just not good. And that is the serious issue that we have today because this issue is not just an issue that the world struggles with. This is an issue for people in the church. People in the church are always questioning whether God is good or not. If they end up being convinced that God exists, they don't believe that he is good because he allows people to suffer. And this has become the downfall for many in Christianity, family. This is the downfall of people, of God, and I have seen this throughout all of history, and for the 30 years that I've actually been in ministry, this is the number one killer of professing Christians in our culture. This is why they walk away. People will walk away from God because of problems that they have in life, because they believe that God should be keeping them from having these problems. Shane, I'm a good Christian. Shane, I'm a good person. Why does God allow these things to happen to me? He can stop it, right? Yeah. Why doesn't he? He must not be a good God then. He says that he will never leave me, forsaken me, but look at my life. He's obviously abandoned me. This is the question. This is the issue. This is the problem. He does not care about me. He's not a good God. He's a bad God. Bad, bad God. This is in essence the unbelief, that the actual unbelief that's condemned in the scriptures. Do you realize that God at no time, at no time in the scriptures, does God acknowledge an unbelief that he doesn't exist? So anytime you see unbelief mentioned in the Bible, he's not talking about the fact that you don't believe I exist. God's not saying that. I understand you don't believe that I exist. No, no, he never acknowledges that. God at no time acknowledges the unbelief that he does not exist. Remember I told you, according to Romans chapter one, there's no such thing as atheists. Everybody believes in God. Do you realize that in Psalms it says the fool says in his heart there is no God. That Hebrew rendering there could also be understood as the fool wishes and hopes that there is no God. It's not acknowledged. It's not acknowledged. 
It's not given. It's not a given. It's, there is no such thing as atheists in this world. Romans makes it clear. The Lord has revealed himself to everyone, so much so and in such a way that claiming ignorance will not be an excuse. But God does acknowledge unbelief. Oh, yeah. He acknowledges the unbelief of people in the scriptures. Yes, he does. It is not unbelief that he exists. It's the unbelief in believing that he is good. That's the thing. That's the immoral. That's what we see in scripture. When God says that you are, it's talking about your unbelief. When he's acknowledging unbelief, it's because you do not believe that he is a good God. So that is our question today. Do we really believe that God is good? I really want us to think about this. Really think about it. You know, you know what we should answer. If I say, hey, do you believe God is good? We know what you should answer. Yes, yes that's what we should be answering. But the question is, is that really what you think? Yes. Okay, good. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged. Because for many, there's a real struggle with the existence of evil in the world and the, the, the proximity of suffering when it comes to the people of God and the reality of suffering, the reality of trials, circumstances, and problems that we have in our life. How could a God who is good allow his people to suffer like they do? If he's really good, why does he allow this to happen? Why does he allow these things? This, this family is a great family. It's a good family. Why is he allowing these burdens, the hardship, all the stuff that these people are experiencing? Why does he allow this stuff to happen? The existence of what we would call evil and the reality of suffering causes many to believe that God is not good or maybe another way of saying it is he just doesn't care. God just doesn't care about me. He said he'd never leave me nor forsaken me, and he took off. He's not answering my phone call. He doesn't return my texts. He's gone. He just took off. And you know what? This is nothing new. I mean, the circumstances the Israelites faced on their way to the promised land caused them to question the goodness of God. So remember, they complained, and they were judged because of their unbelief. Now remember, now when I was younger, and I always thought the unbelief, I think of unbelief as not believing that God exists. I used to always think that, like, how in the world could God be judging the Israelites for unbelief that he exists? Seriously, like, remember that? Like, did that strike you as weird ever at any time in your life? It struck you as weird? Like, they're being judged for unbelief. They're being judged because they don't believe. Don't believe in what? Right? It can't be that God exists. I mean, seriously, after everything they saw God do in Egypt, they don't believe that God exists? Uh-uh, I don't think so. Every single day they woke up, there was a cloud that they were following. Every night they were following what? A pillar of fire. When they were hungry, something fell from heaven. It's not that they were judged for unbelief because they didn't believe God existed. Oh, they believed God existed. There was no way you could not believe that God existed at that time. What they were, ju what they were judged for is their unbelief that God was a good God. The whole time they were struggling with the fact that he does not care about us. He pulled us out of Egypt just so that he could kill us in the wilderness. 
you know what? Let's just go back. Let's go back to Egypt. <laughs> they, the, the circumstances, now think about this now. The circumstances that the Israelites were faced with were so bad. What God allowed was so bad that they con- actually concluded that life was better for them in Egypt. They wanted to go back to Egypt. So bad that it was better to go in Egypt. Today, it's the same thing. Many of us feel like that life was better as an unbeliever. You know what? Life for me was better when I was just an unbeliever. Back when I didn't care and I wasn't a Christian and all this stuff. Back when that was going on, I... Now, you know what? Back in the world was better for me. And then in the world, we can't get a better life because of all the, all the bad things that keep happening. And in unbelief, we conclude that God is not good because he allows bad things to happen to good people. But our passage today helps us deal with this perplexing problem. Again, the word of God is going to bring us through. So let's take a look. Psalm 119, 65 to 68. Psalm 119, 65 to 68. You have done many good things for me, Lord, just as you promised. I believe in your commands. Now teach me good judgment and knowledge. I used to wander off until you disciplined me, but now I closely follow your word. You are good and do only good. Teach me your decrees. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that you continue to help us to follow your truth, to love your truth, and to love the light. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at today is the fundamental truth of the goodness of God, no matter what is happening around us. The second point to uncover is that we will see the real value of the special revelation of God and the gospel it brings. So our thesis statement today is this. Again, if you don't know, our thesis statement is me trying to summarize the entire sermon in one sentence. Though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to doubt the goodness of God, it is the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the scriptures that will open up our hearts and minds to the plan of God to make us more like Christ with goodness and mercies that are new every morning. Point number one, God is good. And he says it right there in the word of God. Lord, you are good. And the only thing you do is good. God, you are good. And all you do is good. There it is. Word of God. God, you're good and all you do is good. The letter tet in the Hebrew is beautifully summarized in this first verse. You have done many good things for me. I love what Spurgeon, he writes this. It is amazing that God has dealt at all with such insignificant and undeserving beings as we are. And it is far more amazing that he has dealt well with us and so wondrously well. He has done all things well. This rule has no exception in providence and grace, in giving prosperity and sending adversity in everything. Jehovah has dealt 
well with us. No matter what, it is well with my soul. See, it doesn't take long, if we're honest with ourselves, just being honest, it doesn't take long for us to see how much the Lord has done for us. Just take a moment, sober moment, okay, and just think about your life, all the things that God saved us from, all the things that God kept us from, all the opportunities for us to be able to get ourselves into serious trouble that the Lord rescued us from. And we can all look and we can see all the good that the Lord has done for us. And the list is long and it goes on and on and on, doesn't it? Just, just, just hearing that question, probably think of 20 things already that you guys have already thought of that the Lord has done for us. It's awesome and it's amazing to see the good that the Lord has done. Now, some of you, you know, especially if you got a college degree from an Ivy League school, showing that you didn't learn anything at all. I'm just... All right, yes, that, that was a shot. I took a shot. I took a shot. You might think, oh, I don't see anything. Well, let me just help you with one really big one. God sent his son to die for us. There you go. Now you got one to put on the list. But did you know that this is not by chance? It's not by chance because God promised that he would do so. And he told us this in his word. He told us in the word that he would do this. If he does anything, if God is doing anything, no matter what, no matter what, it's good. So, Hopefully you guys have made a list of all the good things, right? You made the list of all the good things that the Lord has done. All right. Now, let's be honest. Let's make a list of all the bad stuff he has done or the bad stuff that he has not done for you. And just give you a hint, I'm setting you up. Now watch this, family. Take all those things on the bad list and move it to the good list. Because what the Lord does and what the Lord allows is good and it is always good and it will always be good. But Shane, a lot of those things that he's done and things that he's allowed to be done, it did not feel good. It didn't feel good. It doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't help me. It hasn't helped anything. All the things that made my life worse, it just made my life harder. How in the world could this be a good thing that God has done? Our psalmist today said he used to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. But the Lord disciplined him. And yes, discipline does not feel good. Does it? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. 
Family, no discipline feels good. And for many of us, we're prone not just to wander, but to even see discipline as something bad. That's what we see. That's what we see in our world. We see this. This is something that we are essentially born into because we haven't ever been taught how to see discipline as a bad thing, right? Did your parents ever sit you down and say, hey, this discipline that you get from us, it's a bad thing. No, parents have always said, this hurts me more than it hurts you, right? (laughs) So we just want to see this. So we see this as a bad thing. We see it as bad. Now, I remember when I was in school and I went to a Christian school that still spanked. Wow, didn't that seem like a thing of the past, like way, way, way in the past? Maybe it is way, way in the past. Ah, Okay, I get it. I remember I was on on my way to the school office because I had a meeting with the principal, which happened a lot. I'm on my way to the school office to meet with the principal when a young boy was walking in the halls. I'm walking to the principal's office over here and there's this hall and I'm walking and this young boy is walking out of the office, coming down the hall and he's crying. Tears, crying. And I'm like, oh, bro, what happened? Are you all right? All he said was, I hate Mr. Johnson. (laughs) I hate him. He's a bad person. I hate him. He's evil, evil. I hate him. And I said, oh, did you get swats? Uh What did you do? Well, I wasn't listening to the teacher. Oh, okay. Well, you're going to listen to the teacher now, right? Yes. Okay. So he was being disciplined, and he saw that the discipliner was a bad person. Actually concluded that he was evil. Now, family, we're doing the same thing today. We see things in the world that makes us feel bad, things that are painful, as bad as or evil. Many of the things that we are calling evil may not actually be Evil may not actually be evil. Here's another one that might blow you away. All the things that you are blaming the devil for might actually be God. (gasps) But why does he do it? Because of what discipline does. Why does God discipline us? And again, remember, discipline doesn't feel good. It's painful. Why does God do this? Because it will reap a harvest of right living. Oh yeah, don't, don't, be, don't be waking up in the morning saying, God, make me a better person and not expect suffering. I mean, seriously, for real. Here's the thing that makes it different. Can you be a better person when you're going through trials and circumstances? Because I guarantee you right now, Christians, non-Christians, animals, aliens, we can all be good people when things are going great. You know, everywhere you go, flowers bloom. Music, you know, music goes. It's like, you know, Snow White, you're walking in the mountains and in the mountains and the birds start singing at you and the chipmunks come and, you know, they, they bring you food and all that, all that stuff, Right? 
And then the wilderness people, they bring you money. You know, all that stuff is just amazing. All this stuff is good. Life is good. It's really easy for us to be good. Awesome people when everything is going well. But the question is, can you be an awesome person when the world is crashing down all around you? Well, God says, my people, if you are my disciple, my people filled with the Holy Spirit, they can and they will. Wow, because of suffering. It teaches us, and, and like it's saying here, that our psalmist said here today, he went through suffering, God disciplined him, went through suffering, and now he pays attention to the word of God. Because God disciplined me, because I went through hardship, because I went through suffering, now I do what? Now I listen to the word of God. Man, I know it's hard to hear this, but you gotta, gotta hear it. Family, this is gonna help us. It's gonna help you. It's gonna help me. It's gonna help us. And it's no wonder it seems as if Christians are always going through stuff today. Why is that? Because we live in a hugely distracted world and so distracted that we've got a hundred million things pulling you away from the word of God today. Think about it, man. How many, how hard, how much we've got to fight and how hard it is to discipline us to just sit down, grab our Bibles and read. Why is it that there's always 10,000 quote-unquote better things for us to do? We'll never acknowledge it. We'll never say it. Hey, Shane, you know, I know I'm supposed to read the Bible this morning, but I got to catch up on my Netflix. So um, I'm not saying that Netflix is better than the Bible, but I'm going to watch Netflix. I, I get this. So this, this, is, this is the kind of stuff that makes me want to choke my children when they give me these kinds of answers. <laughs> Dad, I got I to gotta, I gotta, I gotta watch this. Oh, you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm not, well, why don't you re read the word of God instead? Oh, no, no, I mean, I will. I did today. For what? Like a minute? Yeah. But I'm not saying that, the, that it's better than the Bible, but I'm going to watch it. Drives me nuts. Hugely distracted world. Hugely distracted world. I bet you anything I can snatch all your guys' phones. Well, I don't know about everybody because I'm looking at some of y'all and you got, you got halos over your heads, so may not be you guys, but spend more time probably playing games on your phone than reading the Bible. You know, watching TikTok instead of Vody Bakum, you know? I get it. I understand. We're hugely distracted. So we live in a world that's hugely distracted, right? Hugely distracted. We see Christians distracted. See Christians, you know, distracted on their phones, just like unbelievers. I see you all on your phones when I'm preaching. You know, I know some of y'all are saying that you guys, you know, are following me on the scripture that you got, the Bible app that you got. But I know you guys are flipping through between the Bible app and ESPN, checking to see how the Broncos are doing. They're losing. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know so, so we're hugely distracted. There's all these things that are distracting us from. And we have got the nerve 
to complain about suffering. Ooh, it's going to hurt a little bit today. We got the nerve to complain about suffering. All God's trying to do is get our attention. He's just trying to get us to pay attention to his word. There's a, something that happened this week that I thought was just so timely. Uh, talking to a, a, a family member of mine, and, and she's just going through a really difficult time. And, you know, uh, job issues and money issues. And, and um, you know, her friends are turning their back on her, you know, um, for political reasons. And then her boyfriend just broke up with her and all this stuff. And so she was just like... Shane, you know, I've just gone through some very, very difficult things in my life, and I just started to realize that, you know, my life is not right with God. And so this whole week, all I did for hours and hours is just spend time in his word. I was just like, wow, I'm preaching on this very thing. There it is, an example problems and circumstances. She was not following God. She was not reading the Bible. All of a sudden, these horrible things happen. These awful, quote unquote, awful things happen. And now she's in the Bible. Now she's in the word. Getting our attention so that that's what we do. If God cares about you and all he does is good, then he will allow you to suffer if that's what it takes to get your attention. And you know what, family? We got to be thankful for it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, it's like my, my mom or my dad, mom, mom, dad, either one. I can't remember which one, but it's always just like, why can't you just do what I ask you to do? If I ask you to do this, why can't you just do what I tell you to do? Why does it take a beating before you will actually do what it is that you need to do? Because sometimes that's just what we need to get our attention. I have been family saying for years, trying to get us and the people of God to understand. This is super important that you get this. I'm trying to get everyone to understand that our collective conscience is always subject to the moral standard, pragmatism, and the ideology of the culture. Oh man, Shane, I don't know about that, man. You know, you, you know I, I, don't, I get it, I know, I know. But you know how I know that our moral conscience, how I know that our ideology, all of the, our conscience is slave to the morality and standard and principles and ideologies of our culture? Do you know how I know that that's what's happening? Because this is why, or this is the reason why God and the Bible are always subject to judgment. Hello, did you guys get that? Why is it that God is always judged for stuff that's happening in the world? Why is it that the Bible is always judged when it comes to things that are happening in the world? Do you know why? Because that's not our standard. Come on, Shane, I'm a Christian, man. I believe the Bible. That's my standard. That's my foundation. No, it's not. Well, if it was, you wouldn't question it then, would you? We don't question the standards and the moralities of our culture. Do you know why we don't? Because that is our standard. We gotta get this. Oh my gosh, we gotta get this. If you guys get this, it'll help. Our collective conscience is bound to the culture. 
why is, the, why is it that the ongoing things of this world is constantly putting God on trial? The war that's happening right now, people are questioning God. Why are we questioning God? Do you know why we're questioning God? Because apparently God is doing something or God is allowing something that goes against a standard. Whose standard is that? Ours, the collective standard of our culture. That's the reason why we put God on trial. That's the reason why he's always subject to judgment. Is why we're always questioning his motives. Why we're questioning that? Because we're not, he's not our standard. The culture is. Now let's be honest today. It'll help if we're honest today. Why are we standing in judgment and deciding what God, what, what God does or doesn't do is either right or wrong? Why is God what God allows is either good or bad. What the Bible says is either, either right or wrong. Or what the Bible says is either good or bad. Why is it, family, that many of the questions I get when it comes to how the Bible can be interpreted, they want to find out the best way to interpret that passage of Scripture so that people are not offended or upset by it. Hey, Jack, can you get that real quick? I'm going to say something that's going to definitely get me in trouble. Here's the thing. This is one of the things that comes to the scripture that God is being judged that God is being judged on. So, in the war, okay, just whatever you believe about Palestinian rights and Israel's rights, all of that. Forget all that. The question I have is: each one, each side is accusing the other of genocide, right? So, there, Israel is being accused of wiping out all the Arabs. The Arabs, the Palestinians, are accused of wanting to wipe out the Jews. Complete genocide. And every single, and this is the thing that I think is absolutely interesting, is every single commentator, people that are talking about this, the genocide, we all collectively assume that genocide is wrong. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe genocide is wrong? Don't answer. I saw some of you guys move your heads. I'll forget it right now. I'm setting you up. We just assume that it is because our collective culture agrees. Well, what do you think it is when God tells the Israelites to go in there to attack that nation and kill every single man, woman, and child? Would you define that as genocide? Does the Bible say that God is good and everything he does is good? You feel that tension in the air? Feel it? You know what that is? That's the culture. That's the culture in our, in, inside of us. Trying to get out. If the Bible really was our foundations, all my answer is, God did it, God is good, and everything he does is good. Period. Period. Now, it's always good that when God enlightens us and shows us the reasons. I mean, people will be like, well, you know, well, Shane, I mean, there's nothing good that comes with genocide. Did you guys hear the story of Hadad, the one guy that got away that they didn't put to death? Guess what he did? He grew up 
remembered what they did to his nation, what they did to his family, what they did to his friends. And you know what he did? He rose up and revolted against Solomon. That's why, that's why it's this thing called revenge. It's this thing called vengeance. If you don't put an end to this stuff, they're going to grow up and they're going to kill you and your family and your children and bring this nation down. There's a reason, absolutely. There's an absolute reason for all this stuff. But you know what? Even if God doesn't give us a reason, who cares? It is God's word and that should be enough. Oh, but we don't like that though. You know what that is? The culture coming up. The culture, our conscience bent to our culture. If the Bible says something that we do not like, too bad. Okay, Jack, you can turn it back on. Too bad. I want to get that on camera at least. Why is it that we want to get this stuff? And why is it that it's like, well, it can't mean that. I'm hoping that we're getting this today because it's super important. Hoping that we're getting it. It can't mean that. Hey, Jack, can you hit that one? I want to make sure you guys are getting this. What's the hot button topic in the Southern Baptist Convention that's happening right now? Women pastors. Clearly, 1 Timothy I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Family, I don't know why that's ambiguous. I don't know why that's an issue. I don't know why that's confusing. I don't know why that's a problem. But women hate that. Why? That's my question all the time. Why? I have, I have a lady that, that I counsel with all the time. She can't stand that passage of scripture. She's always busting me on that. And I'm just like, well, can you tell me what it means then? Well, obviously he means that women can't teach. Okay, then what's the problem? Because that's not right. Why? Did Peter say that it's okay? So there's a conflict between Peter and Paul? No. Why is there an issue? You know what she says? It just is. <laughs> Do you know why it is? It's not because of scripture. It's because of culture. You know that, come on, you know that. I mean, just think, like, you know, hey, what would you guys think if, if uh, hey, you know, Biden calls me up, President Biden calls me up and says, hey, Shane, I want you to come and I want you to speak to Congress and I want you to speak on that passage of scripture in 1 Timothy where it says, I don't permit a woman to teach and I want you to preach that. How many of you guys are gonna be like, oh, somebody's gonna assassinate our pastor? Man, our pastors, oh, you know, and, and he, he agreed to it? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you guys know that that would be a problem. Do you know why? You can't even stand up for scripture that's actually blatantly saying what it says. The fact that God commanded the Jews to go in there and commit genocide. We don't want to talk about these kinds of things. We don't want to say these kinds of things. You know why we don't? Because our conscience is still connected to the culture, not scripture. Ooh. 
whew, man, I'm hoping that we're going to have like this, this, this moment of great repentance at the end of service today. Uh, let me keep on going. The problem of evil, so then this is what I'm trying to say. The problem of evil is only a problem if and only if your conscience is bound to the world. Do you know why? Because if it's not, then all of these things that we're calling evil, we would say is good. Because our God is good and only does good. There's no inability on the part of God where we agree. God can do anything, right? It's like a, one, of my, one of my mentors used to say all the time, Shane, don't worry. God's the only person I know that can unscramble eggs. I can't tell you how much that helped me through life. Just that simple illustration. So the truth is that God is good. Everything is good. No matter what we see, no matter what we hear, no matter what we experience. Because if God says it's good, then it's good. But I don't understand and I'll tell you this, I don't understand a lot of these things. You know, people will say, well, hey, Shane, you know, well, we're not going to understand until we get to heaven. There's going to be things that we're probably still not going to be able to stand when we go to heaven. God's just able to do things that will blow our minds. And we'll just never be able to understand. But my question is, where else are you going to go? Where else are you going to go? The word of God is more valuable than millions in gold and silver. If we had one wish, if we had one wish, just think about this. God says today, you got one wish. I'm setting you up here. How many of us would ask for millions of dollars instead of a deeper, meaningful understanding of God's word? You know, how many of our family members have been like, God gave me a wish and I said, you know what, God? I just want a deeper and more meaningful understanding of your word. And your friends and family find out that that's what you did? I'll tell you right now, my family would skin me alive if that's what I did. So you're telling me that you could have asked for a billion dollars and you didn't? <laughs> it's our culture, Right? But here's the thing, the God is telling us that the word of God is more valuable than millions in gold and silver. If we had one wish, what would we wish for? What God says is more valuable than millions in gold and silver is collecting dust in our homes today. Believe that? Solomon got a wish. Solomon could ask for wealth, fame, but what did he ask for? Wisdom. It is the precious, special revelation of the living God. Can we not see what's happening in our culture today? Do you realize that people are absolutely doing what is right in their own eyes? We're seeing the book of, of Judges here, family. They're doing whatever is right in their own eyes. They, they believe whatever they want to believe, whether it's real or not. I was watching the, you know, the news, and they're, they're interviewing one of the protesters again. I'm not taking a side, I'm just saying interviewing one of the protesters and they're asking the protesters, well, why are you supporting a, a terrorist organization that 
you know, beheads babies and burns women and rapes women and does all this kind of stuff. And they're just like, I don't think that's what they're doing. And he's like, oh, really? You don't? No, I haven't seen no pictures. I haven't seen no video. And then she goes, and even if I did see pictures and even if I did see video, I know about Final Cut Pro and I know about Adobe Premiere. I know about Photoshop. You guys can make anything look like anything. So the reporter goes, so you don't believe that this is happening because you haven't seen it? Yeah. And then he goes, so um, I, I'll give you that, but have you not seen it? And I was like, that's a good question, actually. You haven't seen it, so you know that didn't happen. But if you're using that, you don't have any evidence to even believe that it didn't happen, then do you? Because I know, I know editing software too. I could have a picture of a man actually doing that to a woman and pressing delete. That's possible, right? So you don't know either way. That's the reality. And that's where we're headed. That's where we're going. This is what's going to happen. This is going to be the way our culture is. And the only thing, family, again, the only thing that's going to get you to make sense of anything is going to be the word of God. I've told my kids since they were young, you have got to, got to learn the Bible. You have got to know the Bible. You have got to know its truth because there's going to come a time where people are not going to know what's true anymore and there's only one place you're going to be able to go. It, it, this is why the word of God is more valuable than millions in gold and silver. The Bible, it's a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses reporting supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies and claims their writings are divine and not human in origin written by approximately 40 men from different backgrounds over the course of 1,500 years, over 25,000. New Testament manuscripts in Greek, Latin, and Coptic, and other languages from the first century to the 16th century, with numerous variants, but clearly not one article of faith or precept of duty is affected at all. With all that there is, the message of the scriptures are not altered in any way. No assertion of contradictions has ever been confirmed. It has survived every skeptic, survived every attack, every attempt to annihilate it has failed every time it is attacked. When the dust settles, the scriptures are still standing. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God will remain forever. Nothing else in this world can compare or come even close to that. It's all we're going to have. It's all we're going to have. Family, the word is good. And today I want to show you Another reason why the word is good, because the good word contains the good news. So quick, a lot of times we're so quick to reject the word of God. And some people may even be honest enough to say, hey dude, if you're telling me that suffering is going to cause me to pay more attention to the word, then sign me out of this. I don't want that. I don't want to hear about this kind of stuff. I don't even like the Bible as it is when things are going good. Why would I want to go and read the Bible when things are going bad? And this is a common response. Why? Because John chapter 3, verse 19, John chapter 3, verse 19, and the judgment is based on this fact 
God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. By nature, family, we love the darkness because our actions are evil. By nature, we love ignorance. And the saying goes, right? Ignorance is bliss. We love it. We want this because our deeds are evil. And let's be honest, it's not just a problem for some of us, it's a problem for all of us. The Word of God declares that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. There is no one on earth who always does good and never sins. We are all by nature objects of wrath. And you know what? The bad news continues. The wrath of God is being poured out on all flesh. The reality of eternal condemnation Weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal darkness, eternal fire, eternal damnation. It's a reality. That's what we're faced with. And people are on this road, destined for destruction and completely distracted. How thankful are we that God got our attention? so that we could see the reality of this, the truth of this, so that we could have life and life more abundant. Sure, we suffer, but we rejoice in our suffering because when I suffer, I get to identify and share in the suffering of my Lord. And one day, because I share in His suffering, I get to share in His glory. Can we be saved from this? Here's the good news from the good word written, inspired, better yet, inspired by our good God. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Jesus came into this world to seek and save that which was lost he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And family, the promises continue. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus came to make all things new and to bring life and life more abundant. What awesome news. And what an awesome plan revealed to us by the living and good God. He is good and everything he does is good. No matter what we see, no matter what we hear, no matter what we experience. Let's pray. Thank you for listening and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.